Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk Sports Edition. The title of this episode is The Space Cowboy. Ooh, find out more about that in a moment. Let me first introduce my co host, Gary O'Reilly. Gary, former hey, soccer pro. Always yep, good to have you. Great to be here again. All right. And you're also a former sports commentator. I'm uh, still commentating, the, yes. Still but it's, commentating. Yep, I'm still out there. The game's gone into extra time. I'm still commentating. Yes, exactly. Well, you used to commentate uh, soccer, and now you come stateside and you're with us on Star Talk. Yeah. Delighted to have you as a former pro athlete. And, of course, Chuck Nice, who's not a former pro anything. This is true. Okay. <laughs> Longtime Star, Star Talk co-host, comedian, and actor we add to your resume. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm often acting like a comedian. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, Gary, give me the show overview, and who do you got for us this time? You see, Neil, we all want to go to space. Um, seems like fun. We can get to float around up there in microgravity. As long as, long as there's enough money to... As long as there's enough money to bring me back, I'll Good go into idea. space. Yes. Always get a return ticket. Um, <laughs> but the whole thing is, what if you had to spend weeks, months, years in space? You know, what if it was your job? How do you prepare a human body to spend an elongated period of time in microgravity? A living body. What impact? Yes. Yeah. What? What? Yeah. What impact does microgravity have on the body? How do you adapt to life in space? Um, and when you come back, how does it react to full gravity? So all of the answers to those questions are going to help us understand how better to travel into space and not have detrimental effects to our being. Um, I mean, it's going to influence so much of space travel in the future. If, if we're going to be a spacefaring species, yeah, you got to do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, otherwise we're trapped here on this little blue marble, mm -hmm. and that may not be the best idea okay. as things go forward. So for these answers to these questions, we need some serious, serious expertise. We have, later on in the show, the space doc, Dr. Shana Gifford. Her expertise is rehabilitation, and in particularly for astronauts. But what if imagine you had an, an NFL athlete and put that athlete into space. It seems like, you know, the rarest of beings, but that's exactly <laughs> what we have as our first guest. Leland Melvin is a former NFL wide receiver with the Detroit Lions and the Dallas Cowboys. He has been on two space missions on the shuttle Atlantis. I mean, he's logged over 500 hours in space. He's also an author, Chasing Space, a book a lot of our listeners may well be very familiar with. He'd been a NASA administrator and communicator for the Office of Education. And if you want to talk about what it's like to prepare, exist, and then rehabilitate from being in microgravity, Neil, I couldn't imagine a better guest. That you must be talking about Leland Melvin, my man. Yeah. Leland, dude. Leland Melvin, hey, what, how do you feeling, man? So good to be here. You know, sports and space, it's something that I, we all should gravitate towards. I mean, we're all uh, space. Saw what you did well, there. Sports. see what you did there. Gra gravitate. Saw it. <laughs> caught it, Leland. I caught it. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to be Chuck Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, so you're a retired NASA astronaut. You're nice. a former NFL wide receiver with the Detroit Lions and the Dallas Cowboys. Ooh. For a minute. For a minute. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You, you only, so, so what you're saying is only for a minute you were with the Cowboys. Both. With, I pulled a hamstring in both training camp with the Cowboys and the Lions. And I, I thank actually Danny White for helping me get the space. Right on. I'll talk to you about that. Okay. Wow. Okay. Wow. You pulled a hammy. Wow. Okay. All hammy. right. But you were on the Wide team. Wide receivers at hammies, you know, yeah. they, they kind of go... Yeah. You need that, right? Yeah. But I tell you what, Leland, there'll be a journey to get that far. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that, that will make you uh, an elite athlete by yeah. a long Yeah, you stretch. made the team. That's totally. all that counts. Like, right, yeah. right, right. There you go. Yeah. And also, you were a science communicator with NASA because after you did your astronaut thing, you headed up the education office at um, NASA, uh, the uh, Office of Education, I think is the official title for it. But um, before that, you had two... Missions on the space shuttle Atlantis logged more than 500 hours in space. So 
you're you the band. Wow. You're the show. This hey, just trying to inspire those that next generation, Neil. You know, that's what it's all about. Well, Leland, you you failed. What? What? Come on. Have you have you seen the next generation, man? Have you have you met them, man? No, no. Wait, Chuck's got it backwards. Chuck, the next generation is fine. Uh, so, Leland, you've been paying too much attention to the young folk. They're fine. It's the old folk that are messing up the world. It's true. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. That's right. what I'm saying. So, let me ask. So, so, so I'll start this off because we have 100,000 questions we want to ask you. Um, what did you weigh when you were recruited by the Detroit Lions or the Cowboys? What did you, what, what did you weigh? I was uh, two, 220. Wow. 220, yeah, not too bad. That's great then, for a wide receiver. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's solid. That's right. And, and so four, then— And a 4 five forty. It's 220 pounds. I didn't ask all the rest. I didn't ask all that. Nah. I don't, <laughs> oh, dude, I don't, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. That's like somebody saying, what did you get in chemistry? And you're like, oh, yeah, I got a 98 in chemistry, but I also got a 96 in physics. I got an 87 in, yeah. I don't blame you, man. I don't blame you. <laughs> all right. So, so you were 220. Now, astronauts, at least from the old days, are famously little, all right? right? Because you have to fit inside of a capsule. But in the what? shuttle era, it's basically a living room with a couch compared to the old days of the capsule. But and how tall are you also, by the way? Uh, six foot. Six foot. Yeah. So you weren't you a little chunky for that journey? Wow. So, wow. so on the, wait a minute. On the wait, wait, wait. And are wait. you eating the food that other astronauts wanted to eat? Leland, are you taking up seat space? Starving. Let me, let me just say this for a Go second. Go ahead, Chuck. Uh, only Neil... Could could term it in those in the, uh, phrase it in those terms. You are six feet, two twenty, mostly muscle. And he's like, it's not Hollywood, man. You're like, aren't you a little chunky for this role? he is right. Okay, he is right because when you're on the flight deck with someone else sitting beside you, I'm a mission specialist, and another one sitting beside me. And the shoulders and the breath, it it pushes into his space. Right. So. Maybe not chunky, but voluminous, right. maybe. Oh. So did you have to lose bulk no. to go on a space mission? No, no, I didn't. No, he just took up both armrests. This is mine. Mine. <laughs> the person you don't oh, want dear. in the middle seat of the plane, airplane. Because <laughs> they take up both the armrests. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I just had to lead off with that question just to figure that out. Oh, no, okay. So here, here they come, Leland. So, uh, Chunky. Batter That's up. my name. My name um, is now Chunky. Okay, <laughs> thanks, bro. I mean, how do you as an astronaut combat effects of microgravity before you go up into space? So what sort of protocols are you going to go through? What kind of pregame do you have for that? Yeah. Pregame, yeah. I mean, the, the main thing is, you know, cardiovascular shape. You want to be, you know, you want to run, you want to do you know, cycling, different things. Swimming is great. But the other thing is really, is the free weights. And, you know, and as a football player, free weights mm -hmm. have been always part of my regimen for, you know, strength and endurance and all of that. But we find that if you lift free weights, whether it's on the ground or actually the equivalent of free weights in space, it keeps your bones from getting osteoporotic. When, when you go to space, the morphology of your bone structure changes because there is no gravity. Well, we're, we're in free fall around the planet. There is actually gravity, nine, what, nine tenths of a G in 240 miles up. But your bones start to change. And when you come home, if you haven't done resistive exercise, your, your bones may be embrittled. You will come back to get stress fractures. And so it's really important that you precondition with, you know, lifting free weights, especially, you know, squats and deadlifts to, to, to work the, the big bones in your body, your hip bone. Just to be clear, because some people listening to this may be from the deep geek spectrum have never done sports. When you say free weights, these aren't weights that cost no money. These are <laughs> weights. <laughs> these, these are the heavy weights. <laughs> so these, yep. these are weights that live in each hand. And yes. you move them in whatever way you choose rather Bench than be constrained. Press, individual press, you know, those kind of things. Gotcha. So you're not taking those into space because Neil has taught us it's $10,000 a pound yes. to get it <laughs> up there. So you know, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. $10,000 a pound. Leland, you were chunky. You were damn real fat. 
This well, is wait. what I was talking <laughs> about, Chuck. You are the one with this was an expensive boy to put up in and space. Tell me about it. They were having meetings. Right. They were having meetings <laughs> about you. They were having meetings. <laughs> what can we before amputate? He goes. Exactly. <laughs> Let's give Leland a little bit of love before we, <laughs> okay. we take him Sorry. down. Sorry. <laughs> so when you get up into the space station, you're there for a, a certain period of time. Your exercise regime still has to be in place. So, A, what are you doing? And I can't imagine there's already a gym waiting for you there. So you're going to have this equipment to set up, exercise, and then dismantle. So how much of your whole day does it take to go from beginning to packing it away in the box? But just to be clear, just to be clear, Leyland was on the space shuttle, which doesn't spend months in space. So we might ask... What preparation do you need for just the days or weeks on a shuttle relative to the months on a space station? Mm-hmm. So that, that would be two different All right, point taken. questions there. Yeah, Leyland, go for it. So short duration space flight, you know, a week or two weeks at a time, we had a cycle ergometer. We could set up this, this bicycle in the mid-deck of the space shuttle. So you would go down, you would, you would strap in, you strap your body in so you don't start pedaling and float away, and your feet are in straps, and so you're, you're cycling. And then we had these rubber bands that we would stretch to do resistive exercise. Because yeah. that's, that's what you need is that resistive exercise. But on the space station, when people are living there for six months or a year, we have a machine called the resistive exercise device that has these bands that allow you to do the equivalent of what we just talked about with the free weights. So you can do bench press, deadlift, overhead press, curls. We have a cycle ergometer up there, and we have a treadmill. And on that treadmill, so that you can get the, the cardiovascular shape, you need two hours of exercise a day for long duration space flight. So the lifting and the running or the cycling. And we had actually Sonny Williams. No, you know Sonny. Yeah, I do know Sonny. Sonny. I love her. Yeah, it's great. Sonny Williams was one of my classmates. She's a marathoner. She's a, just an incredible athlete. She ran the Boston Marathon in space while Karen Nyberg ran the actual Boston Marathon. And they were comparing times as they were running. I mean, probably. Yeah, but, but one of them didn't have gravity. <laughs> Stop. No, Chuck. I'm just... What said was... But Chuck. Oh, Chuck. she cheated? Are you saying she cheated? Yes, I am. I'm saying she <laughs> cheated. I didn't want to say it, but now that you brought it up... <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I'm going to let you tell that to Sonny, okay? Oh, wait, wait. Just to be clear, just to be clear, she has devices that weigh her down onto the treadmill. I got That's it. the That's, whole thing. Okay. It's probably harder up there, Chuck, than it is on the ground. She's got this, this elastic band around her waist with straps that go down to the base of the treadmill. So she's running and trying not to, you know, levitate up, but those bands are keeping her down on the treadmill. Right. And that's going to affect her, her, her actual technique. Okay. So she's going to have to learn a new technique to run with all of that equipment exactly. attached to it. All right, I take exactly. it back. I take it back. So no cheating. No she cheating. A, she was, she she was actually she was at a disadvantage. You know? Yeah. Did you take a pigskin up into the shuttle? I took and up uh, raising that thing around. The, NF, the NFL Hall of Fame gave me a football to take the space. And we also took, Gary, the, the NFL Super Bowl coin for the 2010 Super Bowl. Nice. Oh. So we flipped the Sweet. coin in space. And, and it and never we, came and down. Like, we couldn't <laughs> find it. And it never came it's a, down. It's yeah. at Jupiter now. Right. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's still waiting for the game to start. I know, right? <laughs> They're just sitting around. <laughs> <laughs> we did rocks, paper, scissors to decide who was going to get the toss. That's cool. Okay. Very good. Okay, so you, you prepare to go to space. You do your thing while you're up there, and once you return, there's these effects that, and consequences. But how did you feel about the return, and is it the same for everybody, or do we have a, a, a personal variation in the way things present? Ooh, right. Interesting. So Gary, yeah. as a professional athlete yourself, you really understand how your body works in yeah. 3D space, and you know, jumping up to kick a soccer ball or walking mm-hmm. or running or whatever. And when I came back, you know, it took me probably about a week to get back to some semblance of normalcy because your vestibular system, your inner ear in space, we, it, it's the data that it's giving because if there's a little rocks in your inner ears are floating, all that data is wrong. So yeah. when you start 
you know, moving and turning and trying to figure out what orientation you're in, you, that's when you sometimes get sick because your eyes see one thing and your ears are telling you something else and your brain is confused. And so your brain shuts all that down and then just looks at your eyes for orientation. But when you come home, it's trying to reintegrate the, the inner ear data. And now there's this conflict. And so if you're walking in a straight line and this just started turn, you could just fall over because your brain is really screwed up trying to figure it out. So every astronaut will fail a sobriety test. <laughs> Coming exactly. <back>. Officer, <laughs> I am not drunk. I just got back from space. <laughs> yeah, and then he'll go, yeah, right. <laughs> okay, so how do you, two things. I mean, I've just got off a plane yesterday and at a transatlantic flight, so I've got some jet lag. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you then experience a similar thing from returning from space? And how, how do you work with time? Because you don't have the same sort of reference points unless, of course, everything's tethered to a certain time zone back on Earth. Right. Wait, so well, you're saying we have jet lag. You wonder if there is something called, called space rocket lag. lag. Space rocket lag. lag. Yeah. Yeah, rocket yeah. lag. And, and aren't you on the time zone of Houston because they're the ones yapping at you all the time? But well, we always have multiple watches on with different time zones. So you might have your home time zone. You have GMT. Um, you know, you have uh, also you have mission control. So you have all different time zones. But, but Gary, when you come home, your wait, wait, body, why do you care what time it is in Greenwich, England, when you're in space? Because what do you, the, space what do you care? the space station is is kind of slave to that. Because you have people all over the world working. Oh, that's the agreed the upon time. I got it. There you so go. Plus, they have a marketing deal with the watchmakers. <laughs> but it is plus they all, National Space Station. And they, and they all okay. listen to the BBC. So, exactly. yes. Chuck, you, Why wouldn't you? Man, you all over this. <laughs> when I got home, my, uh, you know, because you've been floating and doing this floating, I went to bed and I got up to go use the bathroom, like most people do in the middle of the night. And I started pushing off of my back like I was just going to float to the toilet. Wait, wait, just to be clear. Older men get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. Mm. Yes. <laughs> this, just Thanks confess. for introducing that. You yeah. confess the state of your prostate in that, in that sentence. But, uh, yeah, yeah, well, listen. Yeah. If you drink a lot of water before you go to bed. There you go. Right? Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. We're Thank just you. properly Hydration. hydrated. Here we go. Hydration. Here we go. We're properly hydrated, that's all. <laughs> but okay. but your, brain, your brain is still thinking that you're in space. And you're trying mm. to navigate now the 1G, the one gravitational pull world. And so you think you can do things that you were doing in space. Like if you're eating a meal, you might have a plate, you put something on a plate, and then you just let go of it and turn around, and the plate gets <laughs> the ground. <Yeah. laughs> because in space, it just, everything just floats. That's amazing. I love it. Mm, mm, mm. What is it harder to do? Prepare for a space mission or recover from a space mission? And... You know, as, as we've discussed, a professional athlete, a former professional athlete like yourself is so conscious of their body because they've used it to, to do their business. So I'd be interested to hear how you feel about either side of a space mission. Okay. Again, back to, as Neil said, the short duration space shuttle versus the long duration ISS living, mm. very different. You know, I basically had a vestibular system issue for about a week trying to, you know, navigate turning and moving in, in 3D space and just, you know, not being cardiovascularly in shape like I was before I left because I was running, I was doing all this stuff. But people that go long duration, they come back and they have all kinds of things happen. Like there's something called the intraocular pressure in your head that pushes yeah. on your eyeballs, eyeballs. That's right. And causes you to have to wear glasses if you haven't had to wear glasses before. And that is not necessarily reversible when you come home. So they're still trying to mm. do the research to figure that part out. Mm -hmm. um, you know, your, your muscle atrophy, your bone density, those things do diminish a little bit. But if you do the two hours of exercise, cardio and, and the weightlifting equivalent, you, um, you, know, you, can, you can kind of mitigate some Whoa, of those Whoa, did you say two hours? That's every two day? Two hours a day. Every yeah. day. They have to work out two hours a day. Cardi they have got a space gym. Wow. <laughs> it's pretty Basically, cool. every, that's every, every astronaut has to do yes. the same thing. Yes. So, um, you know, imagine you're having to stagger your rotor, right? If you've got 
jobs and tasks that you need to fulfill, but you still need to fulfill the two hours per day. It's there's so much more involved. They schedule that into your day, though. Okay. I mean, you have mm, planners yeah. on the ground that put that in for you because that's that's a countermeasure that we use to stay stay healthy. And and when do they schedule the couch and potato chip time? That's on your time. You have to figure that. <laughs> Leland, a last question before we let you go. Uh, and what can you imagine a future where we find a planet that has slightly more gravity than Earth? And you bring an entire athletic team there to work out under these heavier gravity conditions and then bring them back to Earth and have them kick ass in whatever sport they're in. That's called, that's called this, cheating. That's called cheating. Okay. <laughs> yeah. just, just so I happen to have my but own Is it rocket. cheating? Okay. Is it cheating? We, we take athletes to altitude train, warm weather, and we to high altitude. oxygenate their blood, and everybody does it. So... But Gary, just get your own rocket, dude. Does everyone have that Everybody access it. to it, right? right. Yeah. Access That's opportunity, the deal. right? Right. Oh, mm-hmm. yes. Level playing field. The inclusion. Right. That's that is that's what the Russians argue all the time. They're like everyone has access to steroid. So. All right. <laughs> 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 right. Leland, we got to say goodbye to you, but Star Talk will continue uh, with Dr. Shana Gifford, who's otherwise known as the Space Doc. Let's find out why when Star Talk returns. And Leland, really good to see you. We'll catch up with you again. We'll be back. We're back. Star Talk Sports Edition. Space Cowboy. Gary, who'd you bring in for the second segment? Well, we've spoken to the Space Cowboy, and that's obviously a reference to Leland Melvin's time as a Dallas Cowboy. Couldn't resist the title. What I, from, from speaking with, with Leland, all the questions start to tumble as to how you prepare, how you recover, what you do while you're there, but then throw that forward even further into... With the answers we get to those questions, how does that enlighten what we do in terms of space travel in the future? How does it educate and direct us? So for that, we need someone in the medical profession who has an experience of dealing with these sort of uh, cases. The perfect person is Dr. Shana Gifford. Now this, as we remember at the beginning of the show, is self-titled The Space Doc. The reason being, she was from the 2015-2016 High Seas 4 one-year mission to virtual Mars. So to go through that whole discipline, that whole knowledge set exists in one person. So for me, this is our perfect follow-up guest. Okay, Shane, Shane Giver, welcome to Star Talk. And so tell us about High Seas. What, what was that about? All right, the uh, Hawaii uh, Space um, Exploration Analog and Simulation. Oh, so it's an acronym. High Seas is Isn't it always an acronym, though? It always is. In space, it's always an acronym. In fact, maybe my name is an acronym. (laughs) So what does it mean, a one-year virtual mission to Mars? Does that make you a virtual doctor? Well, if I'm taking care of you over the internet, it does. (laughs) (laughs) Good one, good one. So, yeah, no, I mean, virtual missions, I'm 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 an analog astronaut. I've participated in space simulations. My first was for NASA at Johnson Space Center locked in a big air hangar in a spacecraft and they locked they locked us in they shut the doors and all we saw on the screens was space for about a week until they told us to get in our rocket ship and explore an asteroid and then they flew us home we had mission control the whole setup it was very real wow and very scary at times yeah. and then we did so well on that that two of us got sent up to simulated mars for a year and we spent a year living on the side of a barren although not totally unactive volcano the volcano occasionally woke up and reminded us we were on a volcano. But hey, you spent a year, three hundred sixty-six days. Did I hear you correctly? A year, Neil. You know I did. I made you a movie from that. <laughs> and there's no, I know, but I still don't believe. It's still, it's still crazy. And there's no, there was no like vending machine for Twinkies. Oh, in I didn't it or say something. that. You, you had to. Okay. Oh. <laughs> yeah, what else what else would you take to Mars? Twinkies never spoil. Well, let's see, the Pringles, PB and J. Yeah, An entire yeah. hospital full of equipment, nurses, phlebotomists. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, that would be great. Unfortunately, I literally had a doctor bag. 
like the doctors of old. Really? That's, that's what I had mm-hmm. for a whole year. Mm-hmm. Uh, like a little black doctor's bag, like the like like a Norman yes. Rockwell doctor bag. Indeed. Yeah, yeah, and it does a, and it unbuckles open and it has a brass up, yeah. latch and everything. Wow, I would I would have so, think yeah. they would have at least like played it off and gave you one of those little tricorder readers that they from Star Trek. Oh, oh and they did, and it had a little laser function. Everything made great fun sounds, but it didn't actually do anything. Unfortunately, it was very disappointing. <laughs> So let's, let's, sound, let's, let's get, let's get this into an interesting Wait, subject. One, one, one question before you go, Bert, but Gary. I got it because <laughs> you know I got to do this because you're the, you're the space doc. Did you ever even just mess with somebody, turn to anyone and go, he's dead, Jim? <laughs> or, or say, I'm a doctor, not a butcher, damn it, or something like that. Yeah, you know, but when a colleague's spacesuit almost caught on fire and he had to come out of the airlock so that it didn't catch on fire, I thought to myself, am I a doctor? I'm a doctor, not a fireman, right? Yes, right. Okay, you can't, your spacesuit can't catch on fire. That's right out. That's kind of cool. <laughs> but you got to be, you got to yeah, say Yeah, you got to say it. Right? You can't just I'm a doctor, it. not a fireman, not damn a it. Fireman. Not a fireman, <laughs> damn it. That's right. Right. That sounds like a practical joke that went wrong. It, uh, it, but, um, <laughs> everything goes wrong in space. <laughs> space suit this, catches on this fire. This is why we practice. This is why we do, do space simulations, because everything that can go wrong in space will go wrong fantastically in space. That's you mentioned, brilliant. I mean, all right, we got onto Twinkies and everything else, mm-hmm. and then you realize you're not up there with a, kitchen, a fully functional kitchen, but you must be doing something up there to get some fresh... Produce? Are you growing? Are you culturing? What's happening in that environment? Or is it all like, you know, what, stick a dollar in the machine and out comes whatever it is you need? And just to be clear, it's not up there. It's in there, right? Yeah. Where, where was in, this? In our dome, dome on the range, dome on the volcano, we did actually have a fully functional kitchen because it started as a food study. In fact, we had a gourmet kitchen. Oh. But on the ISS, they don't oh. exactly have oh. a gourmet kitchen. And in the experiment at NASA, I, we were the rehydrators in chief. We literally had a, a bag of warm water and we injected it into our meals, shook it vigorously, and enjoyed. This worked well except for the cereal. When you rehydrate wow. cereal, which had milk powder on it, it does not Ew. go well. Those Cheerios, those Cheerios do not hold up. Mm. I'm just saying. But no, um, we grow. <laughs> to answer your question, Gary, we grow, we culture, we cultivate, but in small volume. Space is at a premium yeah. in space. So you can get some micronutrients and some macronutrients. I like that line. Space, space is, at, is a at a premium. Like so that. really, we, would gr- we could grow as much as we needed to, to live. So we were discussing and, with we Leland about space space you know, you, you, your, your bones and the density. Is there anything you as a doctor... Mm-hmm. can do to to mitigate those circumstances or have we already done it by adjusting the gravity within the environment you're in? Yeah, because Chuck would just rather take a pill and go back to his couch. We've tried that, Chuck. Two hours I would like that. to take a pill and do anything. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I could see that. I could see you doing that. Just about anything. Next time we meet, I'm going to give you some pills and ask you to do some things. So hold All on right. to that thought. Fantastic. Um, yeah, you know, we've tried everything. We have tried pills called bisphosphonates, which we give to people with osteoporosis on Earth who don't have mm-hmm, enough bone. Mm-hmm. Right. It turns out that the risks outweigh the benefits. We weren't getting a lot out of it. So we stopped doing that. We do supplement, though, calcium and phosphorus and mm-hmm. other things you need, just like on Earth, to build bone. So in my patients who are right. in wheelchairs who don't load their skeletons by walking, in space, you don't load your skeleton by walking, we heavily supplement vitamin D calcium. There's those things you need to scaffold, scaffold and build bone. Right, right. So the astronauts get, get their vitamins and minerals. And then like Leland was saying, two hours a day of exercise where we load people on the T2 treadmill by putting a waistband on them and literally bungee cording them to the treadmill so that they do some advancing and they do some strikes. It's the foot strikes. Right. It's that. It's, it's that the pounding, pattern. right? The pounding. I, I read a uh, study years ago that talked about how runners actually have better bone density because of the pounding, which is also something that wears their bones. So it was this weird kind of, you got to find this equilibrium. It's Yeah, it's a rejuvenative thing. So what was funny is during COVID, I take care... I mean, if it doesn't break your bones and give you shin splints, it'll make right. you better. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, or for my Boston Marathoners, if it doesn't make you pass out after mile 20, 
Right. right. But you know, I used to take care of marathoners, right. uh, sportsmen, sportswomen. And during COVID, mm. they stopped running for a while. They told everyone just stay indoors. And immediately all these people developed knee pain, hip pain, back pain. And they came into my office and they said, doc, I've been running 20, 30, 40 miles a week for years. Why am I hurting now? And uh, I said, because you stopped. Right. You stopped. And, and, I, and feel, I feel that yeah. way about drinking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you've been ex- you've been treating a- your existential pain with alcohol, but Chuck, right. you, you haven't you haven't stopped drinking. So how do you know? <laughs> oh, 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 oh my God, oh. that was so well played. I'm at a loss. That was, that was so well played, and there's no there's there no is comeback. no just show oh, oh snap! Did she oh, went top gun on just, me? <laughs> she just wait. Uh, time, okay, wait. Let me in the penalty box. Yeah, for let 10 me minutes. let me defer, Shana. I will now be uh, goose to your maverick. You can be maverick now. I gotta be goose. Chuck, <laughs> right. I'm feeling the need for right. speed. I think our director would like us to All move right, on. Here we here. go. Oh, that was yes. great. All right, sorry. All right. Go ahead. All right, so. Chena, you you talked about some of your patients being wheelchair propelled. All right, there's there was there was there was a mission astro access experiment that you were involved in. Um, I mean, these am I right here? The para astronauts, correct? Yeah. And then, if you look at that in in a microgravity, were these people actually able to propel themselves upright rather than? not have to be wheelchair propelled. And how is this developing in terms of astronauts? That's a great question. So Mission Astro Access, um, we put, myself, two flight surgeons put, and, and a whole team, an amazing team, put 12 people who I say are adapted visually. Some of them had no sight, um, auditorially or vestibularly. Some of them had no, no hearing. And then mobility-wise, some of them propelled by wheelchairs on Earth. But you put them in With space. With their own arms. With, with their, their arms, arms, with their mm-hmm. own arms, or in the case of, of of Dana Bowles, who's who works for NASA and was one of our wonderful ambassadors, she was born without arms or legs, so she propels uh, by a via electric wheelchair beautifully, and has worked for NASA for many years. Um, they in 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 microgravity or lunar gravity or Martian gravity. We had all kinds of gravity during this mission. Um, many of them could 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 stand, could extend into full extension, and the look on their face when you haven't stood. In 12 years or 10 years, when you haven't extended without many people helping you or without having to hold onto a bar when of your own free will, you just stood. It was incredible. And one of our ambassadors, who has a very rare genetic condition, stood on his own for the first time in his life wow. in, lunar, in lunar gravity. Oh, it was remarkable. That's it was amazing. remarkable. Eric, you are amazing. So let me ask this follow-up question. Are para-astronauts teaching scientists now of maybe how being adaptive in a microgravity will help future space endeavors? I think para-astronauts and para-athletes, people who are adapted to life on Earth and have to function differently here all the time. Mm. You know, you put high-functioning people like Leland, who are literally rock stars, superstars, star athletes, you put them in space and suddenly they're disabled. They have to learn how to function in that environment. You take people on Earth who are who are labeled as disabled, but they function beautifully. You put them in a new environment and they just flip on a dime. They know what it means to adapt. They know what it means to change, to have to do things differently, to not be suited to the environment you're in. They are so much better and faster at this than any of us ever will be that I think they have a lot to teach us. I really do. I can't wait till we get one of them up there. That was, uh, that was so the premise saying- of the movie. What's the movie where the blue people on the... Planet Pandora, but the main character... Avatar. Thank you, Avatar. But the main para... uh, He was a paraplegic, and because he couldn't use his legs, he immediately acclimated to the Avatar. He was was completely used to just changing his mental environment. Right. Really how we function in the world is about our mental model of the world and what we're supposed to be able to do and how we function. When your mental model is... I'm going to make it happen no matter what. You cannot stop me, which is the mental model of every single adapted, every single disabled person in the world. Right. You, then you put them in a new environment, they're just going to adapt. It doesn't take them a minute. So are we, are we looking at this? I'll, I'll call it the standard body shape. Maybe not being the best solution in a microgravity it environment. It goes to being one of many possible solutions. 
one of many possible ways to be. Mm. Not the best way, just a way. And now Sawyer, for example, Sawyer okay. uh, works for NASA as well down in Florida uh, at uh, Kennedy Space Center. You know, he's been uh, ambulating, propelling with a wheelchair for many years. You put Sawyer at the International Space Station, he's going to move around as well as anyone else. And he's not going to try to use his feet. It wouldn't occur to him to do that. Everything is going to be arm powered and he's going to be fast much faster than people who are used to walking are going to be the second you put Sawyer up there. And Sawyer, we're going to get you up there, my friend. You just wait. So, so it sounds like it's not only from what we learned from Leland, what you do with your body to get in shape, but your mind as well. Mm -hmm. The adaptability of your mind and how it then thinks about your body right. seems to be at least half the effort up there in space. I'd say it's closer to 80%. Oh, 80%. Mm -hmm. The other 20% is following yeah. the procedure, the checklist that says, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. And by the way, Chuck, there is a point in the checklist where you get to it and you're like, time to panic. Oh, oh, good. Yes, <laughs> exactly. I'm going to take a break and we're going to come back to that in the third segment of Star Talk Sports Edition, Space Cowboy and Space Cowboy Doctor. <laughs> Space Doc on Star Talk. We're back, Star Talk Sports Edition. We're talking about being a space cowboy and being a space doc. Relevant to that, we've got Dr. Shana Gifford here. Who, Shana, your expertise is rehabilitation, is that right? That's correct. So uh, we got to hear Leland Melvin talk about, uh, he didn't use the word rehabilitate, but readjust to mm -hmm. 1G after being in 0G. Um, and he gave us some details about his auditory canal and his brain. and his so. What role do you play in this, or they just have to shake it off over a week of, of Earth gravity? Can, can you help this? Can we you? Can. What's your role in getting astronauts to get back to one dream? So we can shake it off, and we call it reacclimate, kind of like you reacclimate to coming down from an altitude or to traveling to another time zone. There's things you can do. One of them is sleep. While they've been on the ISS, we, mm, we give them. I can do that. We give them. I believe you. <laughs> we, we give them eight hours a night to sleep, but they usually don't. They usually get closer to six for a lot of reasons that are complicated. So we get back to earth. We say, sleep, please sleep. And then we say, remember, when you put down the water bottle, it won't float. You need to put it down with your hand on, on a surface. And then they say, okay. And they drop it. We say, that's okay. Mm -hmm. Try again. <laughs> Try again. Yeah. And, you know, they get it after right. a few times. So all of that clicks into gear very quickly. They stop dropping things. They start remembering that you can't just, you know, put stuff down. It's not going to be there when you reach for it again. But then when it comes to the walking, that takes a while, a little while to come back. So which is why every picture you see of every astronaut, they're being flanked by someone on either side as they're walking away typically, or they're standing still. But when they go to walk down a straight corridor, there'll often be one person on either side because they may start to drift. And they may start to drift because wow. the fluid in your inner ear, it's continued to swish around in space, but the sensors that pick up that swishing have shut themselves down after the first few days to a week in space. They just said, we don't need you. And they, they literally turn off in most people. So the ability to sense where am I in wow. space relative to my body and the walls and other things in space, that's off for a little while. And it takes a little while to come back. And we can do some vestibular retraining. We do that with them, people who've had strokes, people who've had injuries. We can do some vestibular retraining to try and get that to come back more quickly. So are, are you talking about, sorry, Chuck, are you talking about here that anyone who's had an extended period of time in microgravity basically becoming allergic to gravity. <laughs> you know, it's, it's almost like you've been redesigned. You were designed I like that. to function well in this gravity well, 1G. I and your, like that. your body now says, oh, all that stuff I needed for that, I don't need that anymore. Your body is amazingly good at forgetting. It's also good at remembering, but it's great at forgetting. It'll forget that dripping faucet. It's called habituation. It's going to turn that off. We don't need that. It'll forget those traumatic experiences, maybe. We don't need that. It'll forget that I need to use my legs to walk. You'll forget that. You'll even forget that on earth if you're lying in a hospital bed for too long, which is why even my patients have had a surgery. I say, yeah, get up. Right. They walk and they say, doc, I can't. You won't be able to if you don't start now. You need to get up. I know. I'm sorry. And just sit up for me. Dangle your legs. Put your feet on them. 
So that's it's not just atrophy, muscle atrophy. That's it's such, neurological. Such that yeah. happens yeah. with the brain connection. You remember it's and neurological. you forget. So your muscles wow. and your bones start atrophying right away. First thing. Like anyone who's had a long illness can tell right. you it only takes days. And then your body starts to forget. It, the muscles forget, the bones forget, and your actual the actual circuitry starts to say, do I need to be here? I'm not being used. I don't know. Not sure. And so part of rehab is reminding everything. The bones, the muscles, and the brain, this is how it's supposed to work. Now we need to work So together. if you have three astronauts that return to full gravity, wherever that might be, like I say, a moon base, Mars, back here on Earth, will they all present with the same symptoms? Or does it vary from individual to individual? Like everything else, there'll be, uh, there'll be shades of difference. Mm -hmm. But everyone will still be in the same color scheme, if that makes sense. So you're all going to come back feeling a little blue, but it may be light blue, navy blue, midnight blue. You know, some people are going to come back and they're just kind of step right back into it. Um, Mark and Scott Kelly like to say that, you know, after a few days, they were feeling pretty good. And then some people and different things come back differently. But just in case no one oh. else is on a first name basis with them, we're talking about the twins. <laughs> one stayed on Earth and one went up into mm -hmm. space. And then... The one in space got the overview effect. So, no, but they were, they were up for a very long time and became sort of the model medical experiment for the effects of space versus Earth living. And so... You know, the two of them have, are, have both been up. And then uh, one stayed home to care for his wife, uh, Gabby Giffords, after she was, was injured. Mm -hmm. And that's the one who's currently a rep, I believe. And then Scott was the one who was up for a year. And he was good enough to call me during my mission. Mm. And, and wish us luck. And he was Very so nice. kind. Um, but they've both been. And, you know, uh, according to, to, to Endurance, which I believe is the title of Scott's book, you know, he acclimated in many ways very quickly. He was sitting at the table with his family, eating dinner there a few days after he got back. But then he woke up in the middle of the night with incredibly swollen legs. Because his body, his veins forgot how to pump the fluid back up against gravity. They had just given up doing that for they so long. They didn't need long to. What do you, right, that, right. They didn't need to. Why did they need to? So he woke up with these very swollen legs. That was his shade. Other people come back and they have different shades. They stumble more or it takes them much longer to get back to running. So we put them in special treadmills that are filled with water and they literally run in a water treadmill until they get their groove back to running on earth in full earth gravity. So everyone is back. They're back in their color. They're like, I'm feeling a little blue, but maybe it's a different shade. Everyone has their thing. Do you get sort of like pressure sores? from if you've been in microgravity a long time from just sitting because you're not used to the, the, the contact. Yeah. yeah. Thankfully, skin shearing, skin, like the health of the skin and pressure sores. Pressure sores happen when people don't have the sensation and don't know to move away from the pain. Right. So yeah. as long as, you're, as, long as you sense your, your nerves are intact, usually mm. you won't get a pressure and you can move. Usually right. you don't get a pressure sore. What they will get though is the bottoms of their feet have lost all their calluses. What? The callus, oh. their callus is... So it's like going to space and well, get a pedicure. It's the best, I've, the best <laughs> pedicure I've ever had. It's so soft and smooth. It's so mm. smooth. So, so they get calluses on the tops of their feet because oh. they're always hooking into the oh, hooks of the workstation. Yeah. And the uh. bottoms of their feet literally shed and it is super gross. Okay. Ask one that's of them. A, all of them have pictures of it, and it's gross. Yeah. And then well, that's they, a bad. That's a bad trade off. They come back to Earth, and they have to redevelop their calluses. On yeah, yeah. Nobody's looking at the bottom of my feet when I'm wearing some flip flops. So is anyone ever looking at the bottom of your feet? <laughs> that's true. Very good point, Shana. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. So, <laughs> what, what you're saying is that the uh, the bottoms of the feet look like they're molting or something. Is they, that correct? They, yes, they are shedding. They are shedding skin. Wow, it's quite a thing. Mm -hmm. Let's, I mean, with all of this experience and knowledge that we've gained, how, how do we need to overcome the physiological issues to, say, take us from Earth to the moon, maybe to Mars or further, and not find ourselves having to deal with all of these problems once you return to a full gravity? We have it. Right. Well, wouldn't it be, wouldn't the solution be to create gravity in space? So 2001 Artificial, space an artificial gravity. If you've got a, a 2001 Space Odyssey type solution where part of the station rotates, that will, that will give you some, some relief. It will. It should give you 100% relief. Why not? 
Why not? So, because when you lock somebody in a box away oh, from- Oh, that's different. Okay. <laughs> the, the isolation piece is still there. The radiation piece is still there. Even if you've given someone gravity mm. back. And, and the homicidal computer, you know. Please don't give them that. Please skip on the how. Let's let's <laughs> let's pass. Let's not stop for two hundred. Let's pass right past how. They will still have immune system issues. They may still have psychological yes. issues. Wow. And they still have to worry about radiation. Unless we've come up with that. Do we have a magic wand for that too? I would really like. That. You know what's funny? It just dawned on me that what you said, we are seeing the effects of from just the pandemic. And we weren't even locked in a box. We were just locked in our homes. I mean, unfortunately, with our families. But still, <laughs> that was... Well, now we know how Chuck feels about his family. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> apparently. <laughs> right. I make hey, no hey, bones about it. Shana, Honey, I love you. <laughs> Chuck, well, thank you. Say the nicest things. Yeah. Um, that was for you, Gary. I can understand the calcium bone situation. But how does our immune system begin to suffer in space? Because you're in an environment that is pristine, or is it? Am it, I wrong there? Yeah, Wouldn't I that would, be the problem? I would not call the ISS pristine. I don't think Leland or anyone who's been up would call our space environments pristine. It's um, okay. it's uh, you know, it's a it's a vehicle one yard shy of a football stadium. It's an enormous, enormous place that people have been having. The space station is the station is the station is, is. is. yes. Yeah, mm. So 109 meters long. And we've been inhabiting it for 20 years. Ew. And we've never sent up a full-blown cleaning service. Ew. So um, mm. I wouldn't call it pristine, mm. but I would say... An a- I would. And astronauts exercising two hours, two a, hours day. a day. Whoa. Every day for the last 20 years. And do they recycle oh. the water from people's sweat and pee? Oh! Everything. No, they just this open a window worse, and let it out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I got to go with Gary. You could just roll down a window so for a few what, minutes. What happens? Some fresh air and- so, so NASA's, NASA's uh, uh, Brian Crucian, who's the, the expert in this, will tell you that a couple things happen. When uh, anyone here box, you ever box, and you got to get your elbows down and your guard up, and you get in your stance. So our immune system's like a boxer. It's looking out to, for the bad guy. It's looking. It's ready. And then in space, the, our one immune cell called a cytokine, which is kind of like kind of like a referee. It tells our immune system where to aim. It gets really confused. It's like, where where, where am I looking again? Because normally the, 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 you, you got to square off against the person in front of you. But suddenly, yeah. And um, people sometimes, their immune systems react in strange ways. Childhood diseases reactivate. Um, they get strange rashes. Uh, but it, it again, it varies. Everyone's different. But... Um, mm. The immune system. Damn, Shana, I don't want to go into space anymore. <laughs> I'm telling you. I mean, you seriously, it, it kind of sounds worse than being at one of those one-hour motels. That she's, <laughs> What's happening to a, you in those motels? Never been, oh. Chuck. I don't know what your situation is. <laughs> I was very huh? sleepy. I needed a nap. Yeah, for an hour. Yeah, yeah okay. You took the pill, didn't you? <laughs> so the thing is, what you've described is sounds horrible. What you've just described, Shana, sounds horrible. So why would we want to put ourselves through all of that? Well, this also happens to people on submarines, Gary. Yeah. And this happens to people on aircraft carriers and in Antarctica every single year. And every great mission and every great just endeavor to be clear, involves In Antarctica, there, there's a research station mm-hmm. and no one is, is frolicking or, or on the ice sheets. They're, coop, they're basically inside with each other you know, in we, a clo- uh, an enclosed they do, environment. They do frolic a little in the snowmobiles, but um, you know, it's, been, it's been there for 50 years and people spend, people overwinter every single year, and they're kind of locked up on the base a little bit during that time. I, I have to tell you, though, you really didn't answer Gary's question. Why? He said, this sounds awful. Why would people want to do this? And then you said, well, they also want to be in submarines and Antarctica. And all those things off also sounded awful. You <laughs> <laughs> were just saying it was not a unique problem. The, to, U- oh, the okay. U.S. Navy is now yeah. writing you a love letter, Chuck. <laughs> Chuck has always known he was the wrong stuff, right? For the uh, military. You know what? Listen, Neil, I, I know you're kind of joking, but I think you, I'm going to put that as, as on my tombstone. Yeah. <laughs> Chuck Nice. Chuck Nice is the right stuff for a nice, cushy seat in mission control. And that's right, what Chuck um, So, as I like to say, space right. needs everybody, but it doesn't need you all in the same place at the same time. Ooh. It needs some of you in mission control, that nice cushy seat, the warm coffee. It needs some of you building the rocket. It needs some of you launching the rocket. It needs some of you repairing. The, it needs some of you in the rocket in space. It needs everybody to be where you need to be. And some people love this. I love this. 
Mark and Scott Kelly love this. Leland loves this. And maybe you love your coffee and your air on chair and mission control, Chuck. There's a place for us all in space. It's just not maybe in space. Let me just say this. Failure is not enough. (laughs) (laughs) If we cannot travel in space without this discomfort, these problems, are we stuck on our little blue marble? Absolutely not. And by the way, we're going to get over that discomfort. I think some very rich and very people very used to comforts have been in space now, and they've done Mm. just fine. In fact, they came back crying, if I recall William Shatner. You know, Mm -hmm. he's not a hard player. He's not passing the pigskin as Leland is. The man lives a comfortable life, but he came back from his seven-minute exposure to microgravity in tears, barely able to speak, so profoundly moved. And he's not a sentimental man. And so I'm going to say, it's, I think it's- And he's, and, and- He's hardly ever a man for no words. Right. The man can talk. Yeah, he, he, talk. he really can. He's well-nigh verbose, kind of like Chuck. So yeah. I would say it's a place for us all to go for some period of time, maybe just a brief glimpse, or maybe for the rest of our lives. It's what do you need out of it? Mm. What's going to be your best trip to space? Make that trip. Mm. Okay. Wow. Space needs me, apparently. Space needs yeah. you. Mm. In whichever role that I can in, find. In whatever right. capacity. And right now, for the low, low price of $110,000, you can go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, the, fir- the first airline tickets were that much. The first, right. the first really? civilians who went, out, went flying after uh, World War II paid a lot of uh, money. You're right. You're right. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 was, it was kind of a luxury curiosity mm-hmm. more than it was a mode of transportation. And T-minus 60 years later, save up a little bit, you know, on your summer job and you're off. In fact, there's, there's a line in a Cole Porter song, uh, the one, I get no kicks from champagne. One of the lines is, uh, I, I get no kicks in a plane. Really? So, so that was a, the plane was a reference point for huh. people who would take thrill rides in that song when that song was written. Yeah. So I'm just showing off my Broadway knowledge there. You there you go. Yeah. So Shana, I think we're going to have to call it quits there. Oh, but that, no. We've got to end on that note where you, you said there's, there's a little bit of, uh, there's a little bit of, space experience for us all that could possibly change us for the better forever. There's something out there. Get out there. Find it. There's something out there for us all. All right. Uh, Gary, did you have any last questions you have to put on no, the table? No, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I mean, I've, I'm going to go away and unpack what we've, we've learned from yeah, this good, show. And it's, good, good. It's, it's pretty amazing to, to understand what astronauts like Leland Melvin have gone through and then how scientists and, and, and physicians like Shana Gifford here are able to assess, redirect, comfort, rehabilitate, and just allow us to then maybe improve these situations going forward. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I delighted learning about the, the para-astronauts. I didn't even know that was a mm, thing. Yeah, so yeah. to the extent we can that's, learn about that's that. Eye-opening. Dana, yeah. Nina, uh, all of my para-astronauts, all 12 Mission Astro Access Ambassadors, you guys are amazing. Excellent. Excellent, excellent. Shout out to them all. All right, this has been Star Talk Sports Edition, Space Cowboy and Space Docs. I want to thank Leland Melvin and Shana Gifford for giving us their time to take us where no one has gone before. (laughs) Where hundreds have gone before. Only 600 have gone before. 600. (laughs) (laughs) To boldly go where 600 have gone gone before. before. (laughs) (laughs) All right, this has been Star Talk Sports Edition. Neil deGrasse Tyson here. Keep looking up. We'll be right back.